Hello and welcome to the Pearson English Podcast, the show in which my panel and I chat to the most interesting and influential people in the field of ELT. I'm your host, Joanna Weisman, and joining me on the panel this month are Richard Cleave. Hello. And Sam Wordsworth. Hello, hello. How are we doing today? Yeah, good, thanks. How are you? You've just come back from holiday, haven't you? Yes, I just came back from holiday and it was quite nice and relaxing. So I hope I have enough energy to keep me going. Oh, you'll be fine, I'm sure. <laughs> Richard? I'm well too, thank you. I'm about to go on holiday myself and hopefully when I get back, I won't need to quarantine. But we'll see how that goes, I think, depending how things change. But anyway, on with the show. So in 2015, the United Nations member states adopted a set of 17 sustainable development goals aimed at tackling some of the world's biggest issues, such as poverty, hunger and climate change. Coverage of the goals has since become mandatory in some curricula around the globe, and they're also beginning to find their way into language syllabuses. But is it our job to talk about global issues in the language classroom, or should we stick to teaching the present perfect? Well, here to make the case for the former is the founder of Renewable English, Harry Waters. Harry has worked on multiple projects aligned to the UN Sustainable Development Goals and is the face of the BBC and Pearson's collaborative project, Speak Out for Sustainability. Harry, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I've also just come back from holiday, incidentally. <laughs> nice. And, and are you quarantined? Uh, no, I'm not. I, I only crossed the border because I, I live here in Spain. I crossed the border to Portugal. So it's a bit like you guys nipping off to Wales. So I'm the only one doing it. Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Six more days left. Uh, anyway, so uh, Harry, what are the UN Sustainable Development Goals? Well, as Richard mentioned a moment ago, um, there are a set of goals, there are 17 goals, but within those there are 169 targets that have been set by the UN uh, to achieve a more sustainable future. Um, they, they were introduced, again, as Richard mentioned, back in 2015, but it wasn't until maybe a year or two ago that they've kind of come to light and come to the forefront. So we are six years into these goals. And so now is a really good time to kind of take stock and check how well we're doing towards this, as the UN put it, a blueprint to achieve a better, more sustainable future for people all around the world by 2030. And for listeners who don't know, could you give us an idea of the kind of things that are included in those 17 goals? Oh, of course. Um, absolutely. So um, I think the the kind of the key the, is to reduce the differences between cultures, between genders across the board. So there is no poverty, zero hunger um, are the first two and the kind of real keys, uh, in my opinion, to start with. Then there's good health and well-being, quality um, education, gender equality, clean water and sanitation. Um, then the next few are kind of more um, on a higher kind of industry level with affordable and clean energy um, and then well for my sake as a as an English teacher um, the decent work and economic growth industry innovation and infrastructure are two that I find 
are certainly more suited to kind of adult and, and that sort of area. Um, but then there's also reduced inequalities, sustainable cities, uh, responsible uh, consumption and production. And then the ones I mainly focused on in the last series of Renewable English um, were the kind of climate-based ones, the climate action, life below water and life on land. Um, and then there's peace, justice, strong institutions and partnership for the goals. Now, the real key to, to these, well, very important issues is the fact that the 17 of them, very few of them are standalone. You know, you, it's difficult to look at one without looking at the others. You know, it's hard to look at no poverty without looking at climate action. And it's impossible to look at climate action without looking at life below water. So, Harry, these are goals that governments have set, and some may see them as political and others may see them perhaps more suitable, say, for geography classrooms. Um, so how are they relevant to English language teaching? Well, these, these issues aren't only relevant to English language teaching, but they're, they're relevant to all teaching. These, these issues are the future of our planet. These issues are the future of, of people across the globe. These are things that should be taught in every classroom, you know, not only in English classrooms, but also in, in maths classrooms. They, these are issues that should be made, children and teens and adults should be made aware of these issues. Um, just one prime example of this is the to prevent inequalities. Now, I'm sure um, a number of, of our listeners were glued to the television last Sunday for the Euro final. The tournament was amazing, wonderful, absolutely incredible. And then, you know, everybody saw what happened afterwards with the awful abuse received by those incredible young men who, who missed their, their penalties. It happens. Um, and we saw the abuse that came out of that. Now, this is something that, that needs to stop. This is something that needs to be taught in every classroom. Now, the thing that I love about ELT is its reach. It is the, one of the true global subjects. It can reach every single classroom. It can reach every corner of the globe. These issues are something that need to be taught to everybody from um, inequality to climate action. So if you like, the ELT classroom is an exceptional platform for these topics because of the reach that it has. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. It is the greatest platform, in my opinion. Um, obviously, I'm going to say that I'm an English teacher. But, you know, there are there are various different ways of teaching maths across the world. There are, you know, geography is different in every country. History is different in every country from everybody's point of view. But so many people want to learn English that there are billions of people who who are trying to learn English um, across the globe it is the language of science it's the language of protest it, it's the you know it is almost a global lingua franca so everybody needs to to learn it so what better place is there than the ELT classroom to help raise awareness of these absolutely key issues Okay, so if we accept that part of a teacher's role is as an influencer, how do they actually go about it? What are your practical tips for the classroom? There are so, so many. I'm going to look at mainly the kind of eco-environmental sustainability ones, because that is my main area of expertise. So kind of the SDGs from 11 through to 15. The first one that, I, in, in my opinion, to do in the classroom is a kind of plastic challenge or a recycling challenge. You know, so you have the different classes 
across the board and you have a weekly recycling challenge. You see how much plastic you use in the classroom, which class is doing the best. And then that's a great way of kind of looking at that um, and seeing, you know, how they're improving. And again, it's a way of trying to keep things positive. Um, it's not something that really works with the doom mongering. It's not something that we should come in with and say, you know, everything's terrible, there's too much plastic, um, we need to stop it, but a way of showing students, hey, look, this week we had, you know, five snacks that had plastic on them. Uh, last week it was seven, so, you know, we're improving. So those kind of easy steps. Um, getting students to love nature is, for me the key first step so introducing them to documentaries about the planet introduce showing them the wonders of the world because until you love something or hate something you're not really going to care about it so getting students to be passionate about the planet and you know passionate about protecting it and not being a huge fan of those things that destroy it so getting them out and loving nature um a food waste challenge is a great one as well. So you check how much food they're using, how much food they're wasting, and that way you can introduce ideas of how to uh, use leftovers and stuff like that. But my favorite of all of, the, all of the ideas is a swap. So you arrange like a swap shop. So you can show the impact of fashion, of buy, you know, buying a new pair of jeans can use up to 15,000 liters of water. You know. You can show the impact of buying new books. Um, you can show the impact of toys or, or electronic items. And this idea of having like a clothes swap in the class is, uh, or between the classes is a fantastic idea um, to reduce the impact. But also a clothes drive or a food drive where I used to do it at school when I was younger as well, bringing food in like the kilo challenge, they call it here in Spain. So you can bring food in to give to a food bank. And that way students can see that, you know, no hunger and no poverty isn't something that's consigned to countries far, far away. It's something that's happening in the UK, it's something that's happening in Spain. Like these are developed countries and they can see that, you know, they can do their bit to help. You know, they can bring in a kilo of rice and that will help somebody. They can bring in an old t-shirt and that will help somebody. I would like to add one tiny little thing about those SDGs that if you, you know, create them for yourself, if you create your own sustainable development goals in the classroom, make sure you set yourself targets and set yourself achievable targets and make them kind of a week by week thing. So when you set your target, so let's say we're going to reduce plastic. Don't just say we want to reduce plastic. Next week, we want to have five items less of plastic in the recycling bin. And so bringing it back to language teaching then, how do we tie it to language? Do you go in there with a particular grammar point that you want to teach or is it all about the emergent vocab? Um, I tend to approach it with the kind of the lexical approach. So with the more emergent vocab, um, but you can tie it to your book. The way I approached uh, the first series of Renewable English was I went through 12 units of a traditional textbook and I looked at how those areas affected the planet. So within that, I was using the vocabulary, I was using the grammar from that section. So for example, when we looked at the home, you know, I was going around the home, we were looking at the bathroom, we were looking at the bedroom, we were looking at the, the living room. 
Um, and we were looking at then the different appliances within those places and how we could reduce electricity consumption. So tying it into those areas. So when you're looking at the food section, that's a, a great time to kind of introduce these ideas of food waste, you know, looking at its impact on the planet, but also its impact on, on those around us. Is that quite challenging, though? Because things like basic food items would traditionally be taught at A1 or A2. So how do you introduce more complex ideas like food waste or vegetarianism at that kind of level? It can be tricky, but it's something that's really worth laying the groundwork. You know, things like waste, things like um, agriculture. These are words that are important. They will be useful in future as well. And then they can be approached later on. You know, you look at almost any textbook, um, even, you know, B1 and B2, there's usually something in there about food, even be it people go on holiday and they're looking at the different foods from these different cultures. You can tie that whole thing into food and and address it in that way. OK, so with the um, with all the serious issues that you, you have just raised, um, how we keep it fun for students? That is all about the teacher. Um, it's all about the teacher and it's all about the passion that comes from the teacher. Now, not only do I love the planet, I also love other things. I'm a keen vexillologist. Uh, for those of you that don't know, that's uh, somebody who likes flags. I love flags. And I remember um, about maybe eight or nine years ago when I arrived here in Seville, I took up the idea of doing a flag of the week. Now, not many people are particularly interested in flags. People will look to Sheldon from, uh, from the Big Bang Theory and talk about that. Um, I liked them before he did, although we do share a birthday. Um, anyway, um, so people kind of laughed at it and thought, you're teaching flags, no one cares about flags. And by the end of it, you know, I had students who were seven, eight, nine years old, really like into flags. So it all comes from the teacher's perspective. If you go in there, and you're positive. You don't go in there with, you know, you walk in there and you say, do you know what? Everything's awful. They're still digging for oil. And, you know, it's super hot. Every, we're, it's awful. Everything's terrible. You know what? There was a fire in, in my garden the other day and I don't know why, but everything's burning. You can't go in with that approach. You can't go in with that approach for any age group. You can't go in with that approach for anybody. It's like walking in and going, hey guys, today we're doing the third conditional. It's so boring, man. Like, it's the most boring grammar point. You're not going to get your students' attention. So going in there with positivity, showing students the difference that can be made. And I'm going to go back to Marcus Rashford. Now, I'm an Arsenal fan. Um, not a diehard by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm an Arsenal fan. But I love Marcus Rashford. He is brilliant. He is an absolutely incredible human being. Um, and what he has done, the, you know, raising 200 million for for no hunger you know this is a, a a un target that was trying to be reached you know for for there to be no hunger and he stepped up at the time when it was absolutely vital in a pandemic when suddenly these kids weren't going to have any food so this positivity these kind of these shining lights these beacons are the type of things that you need to bring into your classroom and show the positive that can be done and I suppose you've kind of answered this already, but do you think we as educators can really make a difference? We can 100% make a difference. Now, 
let's just imagine that we go into our classroom, we've got 25 students. Some of them aren't really going to pay much attention. Some of them are going to pay attention and forget what you say. But if even like 10 or 15% of those students really pay attention and really listen, and they go home and they speak to their parents and they say, do you know what, Dad? How's about on Mondays, we try not eating meat? You know, look at the impact it can have on the planet. Or, do you, do you know what, Mum? Can I come shopping with you? And we can just look a bit more closely and see if there's a way of reducing the plastic that's being used. Or, hey, do you know what? Maybe we don't need to be using these certain big brand names of fizzy drink uh, producers um, because they have a huge um, plastic output on the planet. Um, so if you can get through to just, you know, five or six of your students in the class, that will then amplify, you know, they'll take it home to their parents and it will. So we're kind of amplifying the message and, and helping our students become aware. And for me, the most important out of all of this, it's not just the kind of individual actions. What we need is kind of collective action. So we raise our students awareness. We get them interested in these these key issues, these environmental issues, these, these uh, issues of race, these issues of gender, and then they can kind of come together. We can see the impact that, you know, the, the strike for the climate had. You know, there were thousands of people across the globe striking, and you could see this kind of global collective voice that, that was coming about. Now, this is the absolute key role that we as teachers have. We need to give our students the voice, and we need then, most importantly, to listen to them. So, you know, we're giving our students the voice, give them the chance to use that voice. I worked in a, in a private school uh, a few years back, and there was very little done for the environment. We worked together, we wrote letters to the head teachers. We went and spoke to the governors to have recycling bins put in the classes, to reduce the plastic used in the canteen. And they could see what happened when collective action really worked. So starting it on that scale in your school, in your academy, is showing them the difference they can make. But it is that collective action. Give students their voice and help them be heard. English is the language of protest. You can see it um, when Greta speaks, it's in English. You know, you can see it uh, in the protest. You know, signs in Myanmar were written in English. This is a country with an incredibly low level of literacy, but the signs they were writing in Hong Kong their signs were all written in English. So these are things, this language of protest and, and the idea that collective action, peaceful collective action, to just, just to be clear here, it's all peaceful collective action. These are, you know, these are peaceful strikes. Um, changes won't happen until we are collectively working on this. You know, we're deciding not to buy from these certain areas. We're deciding to eat less meat. We're deciding to you know, to address the issues with our governments who set these targets. Like, let's not forget that. It's our governments that are setting these targets and saying, so many governments, we want to be net zero by 2030. Great, lovely words, beautiful words, fantastic. What do you want to be by September 2021 is what I'd like to know. You know, these kind of things and demanding this, something we're doing with the Speak Up for Sustainability that the whole idea of it is to help students find their voice. So each month we're talking about a different theme to try and help our students find their voice and use it. So speaking about voices, let's move on to our Q&A.
And our first question this month comes from Gillian in the UK who asks, how can we introduce topics that some learners might have direct experience with, like no poverty, in an appropriate way? Uh, that is a, that's a fantastic question, Gillian. Now, this is something I've actually had quite a bit of experience with recently because uh, I've been teaching an online class with some refugees in the UK and a lot of the issues that come up are incredibly sensitive. So the first step is to really know your class. You may have students within the class who are happy to address this topic and, and it will help the other students within the classroom. So if you have students that, you know, have come from a background where there was, you know, po extreme poverty and they've come to the UK or they've come to Spain, um, often using that as kind of a case study for students to see that this is real and letting them share their experience with the class, it can be an an incredibly impactful moment and that coming from the students it will be an awful lot more impactful than coming from the teacher for example you know what what do i know about poverty i'm a i'm a 37 year old white man from northampton in england uh, i've led a, you know a privileged life i've been very lucky with with everything i've done so so what do i know so if it's possible engaging those students with it can be so impactful. If they're uncomfortable with it, then it's not a subject that you should be bringing up in the in the classroom. You know, there's you should never be making your students feel uncomfortable. I like to relate this also to kind of um, diversity and inclusion when we're talking about so gender and so on and so forth. This is a topic that is absolutely key at the moment. It's it's it should have been key for an awful lot longer than it has been. Um, but you need to be sensitive with these issues and looking uh, towards experts in that area before you, you broach the subject in the classroom. So looking towards someone like Tyson Seaburn, who has experience with, you know, talking about um, inclusivity in the classroom. And these are things that, as I say, if it comes from the student and they're happy to talk about it, then that's fantastic. It's something that should be talked about. But if you have students in there who have who are uncomfortable with it, who are not ready to talk about it, then it's not something that you can really bring up in the classroom. It's not fair on other students. It's not the place to single out students and, and make them feel uncomfortable. Your classroom should always be kind of the open arms for a, a pre-COVID hug. You know, it should be a happy place to go. Um, if a student isn't happy, they're not going to learn. So you can't you genuinely can't broach those topics. You can't talk about them if the students have experienced them and they're not happy to talk about them. So knowing your students and knowing that level is really important. So this ties in with our next question, which is from Donatella from Italy, who asks, are any other topics less appropriate for young learners? And I suppose perhaps look at the 17 topics and are those ones that you would say you would avoid using with young learners? There, there definitely are some that I'd avoid using with le young learners, but not because of the subject matter. So, for example, my daughter, I've, I've mentioned this in the past, and I have a class with, with her age group. Um, we've talked about gender, for example. And one thing that I absolutely loved, I was walking to school with my daughter the other day, and she was saying, when I'm older, I don't know if I'm going to have kids, but I'm definitely going to adopt. Um, and then, I don't know, I could call he she they i'm not sure what name i'd give them 
And, you know, this came naturally from an eight-year-old child. You know, this is, I think they're, the minds of eight-year-olds and so on, they, they're not so set in their ways with the younger learners. So stuff like gender equality, no poverty, zero hunger, these are things that can be spoken about with young children. Things that I wouldn't really talk about with them are stuff like affordable and clean energy, decent work and economic growth, industry, innovation and infrastructure. I mean, they're things that aren't, you know, they're not exactly um, young learner material. Great. OK. And um, so our final question is from Helen in the UK, who asks, how can publishers embed sustainability into teaching materials in a way that is fresh, relevant and not tokenist? This is exactly the reason I started Renewable English. Um, I had become kind of, I'd become very weary of opening my textbook, getting to the climate change page, and there being that early closure amongst all of my students who go, oh, recycling, or oh, the ice caps are melting, or oh, the polar bears are dying, oh, this is, and they get bored of it, you know. So they've got to that kind of stage and it's just, it's, it's not interesting and it's not fun. Now, my idea, what I did with the, the first series of Renewable English was to take each unit and have that, that last section of the unit where traditionally you have like a, a culture unit or, you know, real English, that section that you have at the end of most units and turn that into a sustainability focused lesson. So you have the, so you've, let's say you've just done fashion and you can have a look at it. You can have a look at kind of the real victim of, of fast fashion. And um, I know that exists in some books, but again, it's that tokenist unit. It's, it's one unit, it's one part of the book where it comes in and it's usually kind of doom and gloom. So bringing that kind of last section in, that kind of a bit of fun in the class. So you have some, I like to call them unfun facts. Um, so you have these things that they're facts, but they're not particularly fun. Uh, they're not particularly nice. But then you do also have your ideas on how to counteract that. You know, you have your top tips on how to, to get around that. And you can look at case studies, positive case studies and negative case studies. And you can do the comparison between the two. And that way you can work in your, your exam techniques. You can do listenings on it. You can watch videos. You can do interviews with people like Marcus Rashford, if someone can get an interview with him. Uh, I think he's going to be my next aim. Would be great to talk to him about what he's done. Um, so, so yeah, I think what publishers can do is kind of embed that in there. But also something we haven't talked about that I'd love to talk about is these UN days that we have, you know, the UN Envi Day for the Environment, the UN Earth Day, stuff like that. Focusing on those in your, your daily calendar would be amazing. So if publishers can put those into the book, um, at some stage, maybe often at the back of the book, there's like celebrations, you know, there's Halloween, there's St. Patrick's Day, there's all of these celebrations that we've talked about year after year after year after year. Maybe we could look at Earth Day, maybe we could look at um, World Environment Day, maybe we could look at Pride Month, you know, there are these different areas that perhaps we can look at. Now, I don't know if a publisher would like that idea, but I think it's a kind of a nice way of getting students to be aware of it. And something my, my wife always says, my wife loves a celebration. But I think this celebration, this idea of celebrating 
these days and, and focusing on them is really important and looking at taking those days as a class, as a group to, to celebrate what we can do, to celebrate how we can go forward with these things and, um, you know, looking at the, the positive things that we can do with it and, you know, maybe making more things on these celebrations and not just going out and buying it would be a, a nice start. Wow, I think you are leaving our listeners and us with loads of food for thought. And thank you very much for coming on the show. It's great to know that we we can all have such a positive impact um, as teachers and, um, and citizens. So where can people find you online? Oh, you can find me everywhere. <laughs> I'm all over the place. I'm, I'm, so first and foremost, on um, www.renewableenglish.com. That's like that's my home. That's my baby. That's my that's my passion project. Um, and you can also find me on on Instagram, Renewable English, and Twitter, Renewable Eng at Renewable English. But then there's also a Facebook group and a Facebook page, which is interestingly called Renewable English. Um, <laughs> you can also check out uh, at Pearson English Learning, um, where where we have the Speak Up for Sustainability. Um, I'm I'm all over that. There are some videos with hair, there are some videos without. Um, uh, and yeah, feel free if you want to email me. It's harry at Renewable English. Interesting one there, very difficult.com. And yeah, you can find me everywhere. Brilliant. Thank you. And thank you as well to my panelists this month, Sam and Richard. You're very welcome. Thank you. And as always, thank you for listening. For questions, suggestions, or any other feedback, please email us at pearsonenglish at pearson.com or visit our Facebook page, Pearson English. And if you enjoyed this episode, please like, comment, and subscribe to us on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever else you get your podcasts. And until next month, this is the Pearson English Podcast. Bye.